Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. All right. So once again, I do want to welcome everyone for being here tonight and I want to welcome everybody listening on the podcast channel. I want to do a quick recap. So last week, we learned that fearing God means having such a reverence for him that it has such an impact on our lives and how we live. We also learned about two women who refused to obey the command of Pharaoh because they feared God. Psalm 111 verse 10 tells us, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So tonight, tonight we're going to continue with that story in Exodus chapter 2. We're going to see how Moses, how the story continues and goes with Moses and how he grows into a leader, how God calls him. What we're going to specifically look at is what I like to call called leadership. That means being called out of your normal life to follow God, to step out, to be stretched. Now, when we start talking about called leadership, it's going to involve four things. Number one, first off, it's just simply being called by God. You feel that tug on your heart. You feel that pull, right? No one chooses to work for God on their own. God calls us. He chooses you. He calls you. And then through prayer, reveals his plan for you. And then he goes before you. We never, ever get ahead of God. The next thing that's involved in called leadership is, what, is just simply being humbled, right? We need to humble ourselves before God so we can better hear him and follow his plans. None of it is about us. None of it. He didn't call us because we're awesome, because we're great. That's not why he chose us. It's never that attitude. It's always about God, and we are his humble servants. Number three, God is going to stretch us. That's what he does. He's going to call you out of your comfort zone to do something for him. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, that did not mean sit and get comfortable and let's hope they come within arm's reach of me, right? He said, go, go, all right? Which means you're going to have to step out in public. We're going to have to have boldness. We have to be kind and patient, but we have to be bold in our belief and our faith. The last part of called leadership is actually stepping out that door, taking that first step and just going. It means we trust in God. We're going to follow him down the path that he has laid for us. Now we're going to begin tonight's teaching right where we left off last week. We know from last week that Moses, as an infant, was found by the Pharaoh's daughter where? In the river. You ever seen um, Discovery Channel, Animal Planet? You know there's alligators, crocodiles in there? It's not like, it's a, not a safe place. This is a big deal. He was placed in the Nile. The Pharaoh's daughter found him, and then she raised him in the Pharaoh's household. Now, we also know that at some point, his real mother told him about his true identity, that he was an Israelite. We don't know exa- the exact date or how she told him, but this is where the story picks up. Exodus chapter 2, verse, verses 11 to 12. It says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So again, we know from this verse, Moses was aware that the Israelites were his people. And even though he lives in the Pharaoh's household, he gets all the perks, all the stuff. He's a very rich guy. Part of him is still attached to his people. So he actually goes out to see what's going on. And as he's watching them, what's he see? He sees a soldier severely beating one of his own people. 
And as he's watching it, he gets enraged. He runs down there, and the Bible says he looks both ways, which is never a good thing. Nothing good happens, right? I used to work in the ER. We said nothing good happens after midnight. Nothing good happens when someone goes, right? What does he do? He kills a man. And then without a plan, what does he do? Oh, i got to hide him. So he hides the body. The next day, again, not a criminal mastermind, he goes to the same place. He goes right back out there. He sees two Israelites fighting. And when he, and when he, he goes and he tries to break up the fight. And he says, why are you hitting each other? Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the implication of what Moses is saying, that they're doing something wrong. They, sh- they shouldn't be doing this. They shouldn't be fighting like this. Now Moses, thinking he's doing a good thing, he's surprised, he's shocked to hear one of the Israelites who's fighting says, well, who made you ruler over us? That's a big statement, right? They, they knew what that was going to do. He's from the Pharaoh's household. They knew, he's a prince. You're not over us. And then one of them says, what are you thinking about killing me too? People know about it. Everybody saw. Now, this is big. What they said is for two reasons. Number one, Moses probably felt entitled because he's what? He's with the Pharaoh. He's a big dude. He's kind of up there on the food chain, at least by human standards, right? And even though he feels big and important to his own people, he's nothing. He is nothing. They even said, who made you ruler over us? You have no authority over you. We don't know who you are. Then they throw in for good measure just to pour some salt on the wound. What do you think about killing me just like you did that other guy? And at that moment, Moses realized his murder was not a secret. The person he killed. Everybody knew about it. It's almost like one of those, you see those crime shows on TV where there's that one really awful criminal who does something and then drops his wallet and runs away and doesn't realize it or leaves his business card. They knew, everyone knew it was him. Everybody knew. He was no criminal mastermind. So the story goes that the Pharaoh knows too. Word got to him. So he tries to kill Moses. What's Moses do? His own, his own people don't recognize him. Plus they're slaves. They're not going to be able to help him. He's got no other family. What does he do? He runs off into the wilderness. He runs in a place called Midian. And he lives there alone. Surviving any way he can. And one day he goes and he sits by a well. And as he's sitting there, it says, seven daughters from a local priest come and they water their flock, or they, start to, they try to water their flock. And as they try to do this, some shepherds, some local ruffians come by and chase them off. Now, in truth, the shepherds were, let's be honest, they're probably being aggressive, maybe, they even, maybe even making advances at the girls we don't know, but either way, they chased them all off. I imagine it's become almost like one of those old westerns where the bad guy comes on the black hat and he's roughing up the pretty girl and then someone with the, you know, the white hat, the good guy comes in and saves the day. Kind of what Moses does. He rescues him. He chases off the other guys and then he waters the, the flock for the ladies. He knows what he's doing. Then the girls, they go back to their father a guy named Jethro, in that part of the story, is called, his name is Ruel. He has a couple different names. And they tell him the story. And so then Jethro invites Moses to come and stay with him. And then in time, he allows Moses to marry one of his daughters named Zipporah. And eventually they have a son. 
Now here's where it starts to get interesting. Moses names their son Gershom. Gershom means stranger. That's a weird name to name your kid. I mean, there's kids like Dakota. I heard a name Ranger. That's cool. Ranger, right? How about Stranger? But that tells us so much about what's going on. This is important because Moses, he's maturing. He's growing up and he feels like a stranger in a strange land. So much so, he named his child that. That's huge. Remember, in Egypt, he was a prince. Had anything he wanted. Never had to work for anything. Everybody knew his name. Everything was handed to him. And now, he's in a strange land. Nobody knows him. He's so depressed, so lost, he names his own kid. Stranger. In Egypt, he was somebody. In Midian, he's what? Nobody. And this is significant because God is starting to work on him. God's developing him as a person. For Moses to do what God needs him to do, he doesn't need a prince. He doesn't need someone who has everything handed to him. He needs someone who's a nobody who's going to trust in him completely. And it's only through God and God's plan that Moses is going to turn into a somebody. So let's go a little further into our verse tonight. And it's going to take us into Exodus chapter 3. Now as we read more, we're going to see God lead Moses through all four steps of called leadership. He's going, to be, he's, we see, he's going to be called, he's going to be humbled, he's going to be stretched, and then Moses is actually going to step out. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now there's actually two problems here with Moses' current situation that do not lead one to believe his current path is taking him to Pharaoh and to one day lead the Israelites. Number one, he has a job as a shepherd. We know from the story of Jesus' birth that shepherds had what? A low rank in society. They had a bad reputation. They were kind of ruffians, which we know, right? We also know they were ceremonial, ceremonial unclean, which means they weren't allowed in certain parts of the temple, certain people's homes. Their word, their testimony wasn't admissible in court. So the overall picture of a shepherd as an occupation was not like up here. So Moses, he's not off to a great start. Now the number two problem here with his current situation, whose flock is he watching? His own? What? His father-in-law. Isn't every, every father's dream to have to find a job for their daughter's husband? Now, I know I'm making light of that, but here's the point. If you're going to pick someone to one day go before Pharaoh and demand he release a nation that they use as slaves, and then that person to lead those people in the desert for 40 years, is Moses like our guy? Not really. At least he's not standing out in any way. He's incredibly lucky to be raised in Pharaoh's household, but he had to run for his life when he committed murder. He was living as a foreigner in a foreign land, and he got lucky when he helped some pretty girls at a well. He got lucky when that, their dad let him marry one of the daughters. He got lucky again when that dad gave him a job watching the flock. And it's okay to say that Moses was a nobody at that point because he would agree with you. And we're going to see that with his own words in just a minute. But we, never need, we can never forget that even though we may feel like a nobody, the world's getting thrown at us, we're just getting waylaid, God has a plan. 
he can do anything with anybody. And we're going to see that with Moses. So now the story goes that Moses, he's got the flock and he goes to the edge of Mount Horb and he sees a bush on fire. The bush is not burning up. And while he's staring at that bush, God calls to him. God says, Moses, Moses. He says his name twice. And this shows that even though Moses is some obscure man, nobody really cares about, not even big enough to have his own flock, God knew him and called him by name. Moses was important to God, even if Moses didn't realize that yet. God says, Exodus chapter 3, verse 5, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals because the place you're standing on is holy ground. God called him by name. Now he's going to start to humble him. He says, I know, I know you by name. I called you. Now humble yourself. You are sinful. I am the almighty God. And then he tells Moses to take off his sandals. This is a sign of humility because the poorest people, the most needy, didn't have shoes. It was actually common back then for servants to not wear shoes. So God's literally saying, stay back, know your place. I am holy, remove your sandals in my presence. And God identifies himself. He says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, your fathers. And at that declaration, Moses, he hides his face. He looks away. This is real. This is getting serious. What Moses is doing, is he's showing great humility. He's standing before his creator, the God of his people, and his sinfulness, his unworthiness is too much to hide. Remember, not long ago, Moses killed a man in anger and tried to hide the body, right? He committed murder. That was still weighing on him. And God had not yet told him why he was there. Did God know? Was he going to bring it up? Who knows what was going through his mind? Is God angry with me? But thankfully, that's not why God is there. God's about to change the world with his plan for Moses. God says, I've seen the cries of my people. I've heard them. I've seen their oppression. I am sending you to go before Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt. Talk about being stretched. What about today? If we're going to be stretched, we might host a Bible study in our house. Go share our faith. Moses is being sent to go stand before a tyrant and say, let all your free slave labor go, an entire nation. This is a big deal. This is huge. Now, here's where the story gets interesting. Right after God says, I am sending you before Pharaoh to free my people, we get to see what Moses really thinks of himself and where his faith is at. This is what Moses says in reply. It's verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Look at those words. Who am I? That's not accidental. Moses is telling us two big things about himself when he replies that way. Number one, he doesn't know who he is. Has no, has, doesn't know where his place is in this world. Who am I? His mom placed him in a basket and left him. He was raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. He kills a prince and he runs and hides. He has nowhere to run, so he goes and lives in the wilderness. Now he's standing in front of a burning bush that's telling him to go before the Pharaoh. He cannot wrap his head around what is going on. Let's be honest. Let's give him a little break, right? Who could? He could have said, listen, God, I I'm a shepherd. I do what shepherds do. I don't go before Pharaoh. 
He could have said, I'm a banker. I'm a, I used to be a prince. I know what princes do. What did he say? Who am I? Who am I? I'm a nobody. Now, the second thing Moses is doing with this statement, who am I? He's, he's showing, he's using human standards to judge who's worthy to be used by God. He's using human standards. And that's a common misconception. Happened then, happens today. People do it all the time. We all do it. Let me show you what I mean. Let's look at this next slide. This is a list of the 12 disciples. They should look familiar, right? Look at those names. And if you would, please leave, the, uh, please leave, leave them up there for a minute. Think of all they experienced with Jesus. This isn't going to be a test. No one has to raise their hand. But quickly go through your mind. Recall everything they said. Did they, anything, everything they saw. See all the miracles they did. The stuff that Jesus did. And you know, they eventually did miracles themselves. Think about the hundreds and the thousands of people that were converted. And also the hundreds and thousands of churches they started. Every one of us is here because of them. Every one of us. Think about the families, the lives they left behind to follow Jesus. Think about the horrible deaths. They all but one that we know for sure died spreading the word. Everybody there in their head, you got all that? Now here's the next question, are you ready? Who feels worthy to have their name added as number 13? Honestly. No one's going to raise their hand? Why? Here's the problem with that line of thinking. You have the same problem Moses had. Lots of people had it. I had it. Pastor Dave had it. All the pastors here at one point have had it. Moses, the problem you guys have, and is that you're using human standards to judge what God can do. None of them did what they did because of themselves. They didn't. If you use human standards, Moses was an awful choice. If you use human standards, I was a poor choice as a pastor. They were a poor choice. The question of who am I assumes that where you're at is all you're ever going to be. The question of who am I assumes God's done and can't do anything more. Everyone look at me for a moment. You're wrong. You're totally wrong. God can and does all kinds of miracles using all kinds of people that can never, ever do anything like that on their own. That's the point. That's why God uses them. He even explains this to us. Did you know that? It's, it's in the Bible. It's very clear. Look at this next one, 1 Corinthians 1. But God chose the foolish things of the world to do what? what? He chose the weak things of the world to do what? He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things to do what? That's his M.O. That's what he does. And he, he used the same logic when he chose the Israelites. Look at this, De Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. Next one, please. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you. Why? Because you were the more numerous than other people. For you were the what? The fewest. You're the weakest. Like if there's all these people, like if you ever play that game Risk, you want the country with all the people. You want, they were like Australia and was it New Zealand? The little bitty one off to the corner. There's nothing there. That's what God chose. God says, I chose you to show the world what I can do. And each one of us is here because he chose the Israelites. 
Let's keep going with this. This is good stuff. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been chosen, saved through faith, and it's not from yourselves, the gift of God, not by works. Why? Because you know we're going to boast about it. You know people are going to boast about it. Are we always that honest when we go fishing? How big was the fish? Yeah. Was this big? Yeah, right? Yeah. We do that. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So what God did, he did because of his grace. His free gift of love, forgiveness, salvation through Jesus Christ. He uses the weak to show that he is in control. He uses the not so special people to show that all things are possible through him. So when Moses says, who am I? Who am I that you would choose me? God's going to answer him and say, well, aren't I the one sending you? Is it not me that's standing here? It's not going to be by your power, but it's going to be by mine. So Moses, his whole role in this plan is just to follow God. That's it, to be faithful. That's it, it's simple. Like we say in this church, where God guides, he provides. Right? It rhymes, but it's true. And in this case, God is calling him to stand before Pharaoh, a tyrant. I want to pause and I want to direct this teaching at each one of you. At some point, this is true, God's going to do something similar with you. He may call you to do something that is so far out of your comfort zone. You're like, I have never done that. I don't want to do that. That's scary. But God's going to say, but I need you. You can do this. He's going to use you. And just like Moses, if we use human standards, you might say, well, who am I? I I can't do this. You might look and feel like a poor choice, and you probably are. But God isn't interested in human wisdom or human abilities. His ways aren't always our ways. Now, at some point, you may come up with a whole list of excuses for why you can't do whatever God's calling you to do. And guess what? Moses did it too. Let's look at this next list. This is a list of excuses. Who am I? Well, what, 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 what if they ask who sent me? What if they don't believe me? I'm not good with words. What do I say? What do I say? And look at the last one. I got to be honest. I'm not sure I'd have the guts to say that to God. I had to choose my words carefully. I don't know. He did. And then he tells God what to do. What's he say? Anybody. And let's be honest, those are reasonable requests considering what's going on. Think of a tyrant today. The leader of North Korea. Who wants to go stand before him and say, right? Now God could have come down hard on Moses for saying that stuff, for doubting himself, for listing off all those excuses, but God didn't do that. God answered each concern with a real solution. And when Moses had no excuses left, he started to get it that God was with him. And so he went. Story goes that he went to his father-in-law and told his father-in-law that he was leaving and going to Egypt, and his father-in-law gave him his blessing. Then Moses packed up his wife and his son named Stranger, right? And they headed for Egypt. And along the way, he met his brother Aaron. He told his brother Aaron everything. And Aaron said, yeah, I'm in it. Let's go. Then they go and they 
gather all the Israelites, the elders of the Israelites, and he tells them everything. And Moses performed signs that God gave them to show them. You know, his staff turned into a snake. He took his hand, he put it in his cloak, it turned white, put it back, came back, and it was normal again. And then Exodus chapter 4, 31 tells us, and they believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshiped. This is important. God called Moses out of his old life to become a leader. Not only to take on the Pharaoh, but to lead the Israelites. Remember, they were enslaved. He had to convince them he's not nuts. Yeah, I was talking to a bush, but I want you to trust me. Think it, that's not an easy sell. Yeah, I was the guy that killed that guy and didn't hide him very well, but no, I want you to listen to me now. But along the way, Moses was also going to have to be a leader to his family. He needed to tell them everything and get them to believe. So his first mission was to his family, his father-in-law, his wife, his brother Aaron. And they believed. They needed to believe that God's plan was real too. He was there for them. The same is true for us. What good are we wish, uh, witnessing to others if our own family doesn't believe, if they don't know, if they don't believe in us or believe in God? We need to minister at home to those closest to us and then expand out. Notice what the elders did when God, when they realized God was with them. The verse says that they bowed down and they worshiped. They worshiped. True faith and a true relationship with God always involves worship. That's what we're doing here tonight, right? We can't know and love God unless we understand he is our father, that he is our reason for being. And so Moses, he does the right thing in starting with the elders. He doesn't, he doesn't try to convince every Israelite himself. He goes to the elders first. He teaches them about the relationship with God. God is with us. He is with us. And then they help him spread the word. True leadership, true called leadership is never about doing everything all by yourself. It's never about one man or one woman. It's about God. Each person has a place, a calling. Each person has a gift. So what we need to learn from the story is that God can take the lowliest, the forgotten, the rule-breaking, the rowdiest, the no-faith person, the one that we're like, yeah, they don't call that guy, and do miracles through them. This is a great one. Look at the Apostle Paul. People are like, oh, the Apostle Paul. Do you know what he did before God called him? What? He was like ISIS. That was his job. He hunted down Christians. And when he wanted to do it better, he went to the authorities and said, give me warrants. Give me search warrants so I can go around to the surrounding towns and anywhere I find them, I'm kicking down doors and I'm bringing them out in chains. And he was good. He went to town and people knew him. <gasps> He's here, lock the door, run. He was really good at it. Look what God ended up doing with him. Paul probably created more churches than anybody. Hold up, look at your Bible. He wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. And he murdered Christians. Look at King David. The dude had an affair with his buddy's wife and then did what? Had him killed when he got her pregnant. What God does with people is he takes, people that do some awful things fixes them up, washes them clean, makes them new, gives them a purpose, and then just does incredible, incredible 
things. I'm going to tell you about a story about me as well. Before I became a pastor, I really felt called to do a Bible study in the jail. I really did. I was like, mm, yeah, I'm going to do this. I had never led a Bible study before. That is a rough place to start. But I did. So my first day there, before I, the night before, I read and I made a whole big plan. And I was like gung ho, and I went in. You know, they locked the big door behind you. Boom! And it's a room. This one was about half the size. There's about 34 guys in there, and it was awful. I did a horrible job. Nobody wanted to listen. Nobody cared. And for 45 minutes, it, I mean, it's that's it's a that's a tough crowd. And on my way out, I walked by the chaplain's office. I told him, listen, he's like, how'd it go? I'm like, it was terrible. (laughs) And he said, come back next week. Try it again. So I went home. I studied. I'm like, okay, that didn't work. Now I have another plan. Let's do this. Went in there. Bombed. Again, 45 minutes. And that's a lot of time to kill (laughs) in a locked room. It just is. And on my way out, the chaplain said, I tell him again, he's like, no, no, it's, it's going to be okay. I want you to trust me. It'll be okay. And I'm like, okay. And then he says, next time when you come, I have an idea. I'm going to send someone in with you who's going to help you. They'll give you some ideas. They'll even warm up the crowd a little bit. I'm like, okay, great. So I get there, and this is, this is 100% true. And we're walking down the long hall. And there's a guy who comes out, and he's in a wheelchair. His arm, he'd obviously been in an accident. He had kind of a motorized car. He, he couldn't move his arms very well. He said, this is Steve. I said, he said, this is Steve. He's going to go with you. He's going to help. He'll take care of you. I'm like, awesome. It's going to be great. So we go in, we get in there. And this guy, Steve, he begins to tell his story. And he tells the story about he, he'd been involved in drugs all his life. Just hardcore stuff. In and out of jail. And then one night he got really drunk, really high. And he jumped off one of the bridges here in Vero into the water. And that's what caused his injury. And now while he's in the hospital, his friends would sneak in drugs and they'd actually inject cocaine and heroin into his IV line in the hospital. Yeah, yeah. Then he gets out, can't deal with it, wants to commit suicide, but he can't. And eventually, he finds God. Eventually, he finds his path. And his point is, this is ugh, I would rather have God than my legs. And, and the whole room is like, they're listening, and there's a couple guys going, <laughs> right? And then Steve goes, okay, Ryan, you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, good Lord, what are you doing to me? That is a fabulous story. That should be a movie. I, can't, I couldn't top it when I was by myself. What are you doing? Uh, it didn't go well, and the same thing. So I went out and I talked to the chaplain. He says, I want you to try one more time. I'm like, this is like a game show, right? <laughs> I'm getting punked. He says, no, trust me, just do it. So I did and I went, I bought a plan and I went in the next time. And I can see, when I, this is true. When I, the door shut, the guys go, <sighs> right? They know. Steve wasn't with me, so I didn't, you know. And so then I, I put my Bible down. And I was I, really quick in my head, I said a prayer, and I said, Lord, I need you to help me. This is, either I totally misread you, or there's a reason. So I just, do something. Throw me a bone. Give me a hand here. And so I put my Bible down, and I, and I said, listen, obviously you guys know I've been here several, a couple times. It's like my fourth time. They all were terrible. 
It didn't work. You don't want to hear what, is there anything you guys want to talk about? Is there any questions you have? I mean, anything, anything. I'm not a pastor. I'm not the police. I'm not your principal, your parents. What is it? And then a hand kind of goes up in the back. I said, yeah, what? And he goes, why did Noah need two boats? I said, he didn't have two boats. He goes, yeah, I did. I said, no. He goes, it was Noah's Ark, and then what was the Ark of the Covenant for? Was that like a second boat? <laughs> like, oh my gosh, that's a good question, right? I said, no, Ark means like a vessel. So it meant like, yeah, that, that was the boat, but then he had the Ark of the Covenant, which had the Ten Commandments and the staff, and he's like, wait, the Ten, then, the ten Commandments, was that real? I'm like, yes. So I'm like, oh, and then guess what we did for the next 45 minutes? Just pepper me with questions. And it ended up being about six weeks of that. I just went in with my Bible and some notes. I thought, okay, they may ask this. And that's all we did. And it was fantastic. And I actually made a couple friends. One guy I'm still in contact with. That was like 12 years ago. The, the reason I'm telling you this is I was called. I felt called. And I answered that call. But the problem is I was the exact opposite of Moses. Moses was like, no, I'm not going. Send somebody else. No. I was like, yeah, God, I got this. <laughs> right? And God's like, let's let him learn what it's like to be going on your own. And so it was a good lesson for me. But all the same, what God does is he is there for us. He calls people. And there's that problem. He's going to call you. He's going to humble you. He is going to stretch you. But I got to tell you, I wouldn't be here tonight if I hadn't gone through that. I really wouldn't. But it also, it, it led me to just trust him. I hadn't misheard him. I Actually, I, I, I totally heard him. I just got ahead of myself. I got ahead of him. That's the, what I actually did, right? So the beauty of called leadership, which is really, it's just being a disciple. It's not about looking for strong public leaders, people that are physically imposing, have a good reputation. It's about calling people who are messed up, who don't know what they're doing, don't know the Bible, and they just trust God. They just trust him. Where you can do some really cool, amazing stuff. God takes sinners, the weak, the lost, the people who don't want to do public speaking. Anybody like doing that? No. Wait till God gets a hold of you. Ooh. God takes those people, he builds them up, gives them faith, humbles them, stretches them, and then sends them out. That's what he does. Think again about the list of the disciples, the ones we just talked about. Each person on that list did not deserve it. They didn't. They were simply there because they answered the call. And they made mistakes. They made a number of mistakes. There was times, if you really read the story, where they were arguing with each other about who's the best. Remember that story? Well, I'm better than you. No, I'm better than you. I caught a fish this big. No, I caught this big. Right? I baptized four people. I baptized six. I'm more disciple than you. You know that, that it was along those lines, right? But each one of them there was called by God. So the question for each, each one of you here is, have you answered that call? Have you listened? Now, let me ask you a question. Was anybody forced to be here tonight? Nobody, right? You came of your own accord. Now, I'm going to list off several reasons for being here, and if you came here for one of those reasons, just quickly raise your hand and give me a nod. Did anybody come because they felt called? They felt like pulled? 
They may just felt like they wanted to be in God's house. Did you come here because you wanted to learn more? They may come here because they just simply wanted to worship. They may come here because they are saved by Jesus Christ. See, all of those reasons are specific interventions that God did in this world. And he's, he's reaching out to each one of you. No one came here of your own. Believe it or not, God called you. He put it on your heart. The weather's not that great. I mean, we've, we live in a place where people vacation. And look at the weather we just came out in, right? Yeah, you guys are tough. God is raising each one of you up for a person. That's for a reason. That's why this church is here. So the question is, well, what, what is that purpose? Honestly, I don't have a clue, but I will love to find out. It'll be amazing to see what he does through each one of you, and it'll be our honor in this church for myself, Pastor Dave, Pastor Craig, Pastor Joey, everyone here, the worship team, to support you in any way, no matter what he calls you. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for all that you accomplished through Moses. We thank you for everything you accomplished through the disciples in the church. So many people before us were called, they were humbled, they were stretched, and then they, they were sent out into an unwelcoming world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And we are here tonight because of them. Father, we ask you to do the same for each one of us here in this church. Call each one of us to do your work, whatever that is. Humble us so we can better hear you. Stretch us so we can step out and do the things we could never do on our own. And in the process, Father, expand your kingdom so that more people in this area will come to know the good news of your son. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship. We love you. We honor you. And again, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.